Hey, y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Betty. This week on the show, from member station WBEZ in Chicago, anchor and host of the Nerdette podcast, Greta Johnson, and investigative reporter Dan Mehalopoulos. All right, let's start the show. Hey, y'all. From NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Happy weekend. From Chicago and the studios of NPR member station WBEZ, I'm here for some fun station visit stuff, and I'm so happy to be joined in studio by two WBEZ stars, <laughs> WBEZ anchor and host of the Nerdette podcast, Greta Johnson. And Dan, you know what? Betty's going to say your last name better than I can, <laughs> but Mielopoulos? Yeah. Wait, yeah, you no, you it. said. Well, I mean, in Greek or English. <laughs> I want to do it right. Say it again. Mihalopoulos is fine, or you can say Mikhailopoulos. Oh. Dan Mielopoulos. <laughs> That's great. Investigative reporter on WBEZ's government oh. and politics team. Y'all, we are joined in studio by my current song obsession yes. of the moment. Can we pump this? Greta knows what this is. Oh, yes. Dan, you know what it is? Not sure. <laughs> <laughs> it is the theme song to the HBO drama Succession. You feeling it out? I like it. I like you it. You like it's it? So good. Okay, okay. So HBO Succession is the critical darling of 2019. It is this family drama that is believed by many to be based on the saga of the Murdoch family of Fox News fame. Um, and I'm playing the theme song this week because the theme song has become its own sleeper hit. People love it. And what's crazy is that this song has proven so popular and so catchy. This week, one of the best rappers of our day, Pusha T, recorded and released a rap remix no. to the theme song of Succession. Secret, sabotage, borderline, felony, suicide. Is freaking ah! out. Do you like it? Yes. <laughs> so, Vulture has reported that fans of this show have been asking for a rap remix since the show launched. Uh, and finally, Nicholas Bertel, the composer of the song, he said, yeah, let's do it. And he said, quote, there's only one person on the list of people to reach out to. Of course, it had to be Pusha. There was no backup. There was no plan B. So now we have a rap remix of the theme song of Succession. And literally on my morning run this morning, I was playing this. Yes. Oh, my God. That's amazing. What theme song would you like rap remix, Dan? Ooh, a rap remix. What's that song from The Departed? Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Done. Uh, I can't I can't place it right now. I want a Cardi B remix of the Golden Girls theme song. Oh, wow. For birthday. I said that on Morning Edition. <laughs> Happy birthday weekend, Cardi B. Please remix the theme song to the Golden Girls. <laughs> All right, folks, we're going to start the show as we always do. I'm going to ask my panelists to describe their week of news in only three words. Greta, you're up first. So I chose Me Too Isn't Over, which counts as three words because Me Too is the hashtag. hashtag. Okay. 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 All right. I'm not cheating. I saw you start to count <laughs> I was like, right as I said it, Sam. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay. So we should preface. We're going to talk about a sensitive story from the news this week. And just to warn listeners, this story involves some details about uh, sexual assault. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. 
So, yeah, we're just about two years into what we call the Me Too movement. Mm -hmm. Um, And almost two years ago now, Matt Lauer, who was the host of NBC's Today Show for Mm -hmm. 20 years, was fired over allegations of sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those allegations have become much clearer recently, especially with this book that's coming out soon by Ronan Farrow. Mm -hmm. And it's called Catch and Kill. And it's got very grim details, allegedly, of some assault that took place. Yeah. So this allegation, a former junior colleague of Matt Lauer's has accused him of raping her in his hotel room while he was in Sochi covering the Winter Olympics in 2014. Uh, she told Ronan Farrow for his book uh, that he forced sex on her without her consent. And um, according to NBC News, apparently that complaint ultimately led to his firing in 2017. Yeah, so this book is coming out on Tuesday mm-hmm. and people are talking about it. And Matt Lauer decided to put out this open letter this week. Yeah, that with very strong words. With very strong words. And a lot of people are characterizing it as essentially victim blaming. Mm. And... You know, it's just kind of bringing up a lot of questions once again about this very intense ongoing story around, you know, like we're two years into this thing. Mm -hmm. We still haven't figured out a lot of rules or structures beyond like the legal code, which in a lot of these cases doesn't actually do a lot. Right. And so then it's like, what do we do with this? And And where do these men go? And where do these men go? And is there space for them to be able to try to reconcile some kind of future in the public? Or do they need to just back off into the mist? And, you know, and I think it's just a really interesting question. And I wish I had an answer. I don't. Yeah. But I I also don't think it looks like this open letter that Matt Lauer wrote, right? Like there is no no, degree of apology in this thing. He said, quote, it's that her allegation is, quote, categorically false, ignores the facts and defies common sense. I just think that when anybody categorically denies anything, it's mm-hmm. sort of like, really, though? Yeah, like, the categorically, I was like, you know, okay. Like, I just think that I would be much more interested in seeing a man in power acknowledge that maybe something went wrong that he yes. wasn't aware of, even. Yes. You know, like, I think there's a way to still say that you didn't do anything if you really didn't do anything, but acknowledge that, like, it's all very complicated. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Dan, you cover corruption. Yes. And this Me Too saga is also a story of uncovering corruption and what happens once it's uncovered. Absolutely. Like, seeing this kind of story play out with various chapters over time, when is it possible to feel like justice has been done with these kind of things? I think a lot of it is what people do after they've mm-hmm. been caught. I think yeah. maybe you, you knew what you did at that moment, but w- when you realize the, the, who you've hurt mm-hmm. and the consequences of your actions. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it seems like ideally we would get at least three statements out of someone who has faced allegations this severe, right? It's like, I was wrong. I still have a lot to learn and I'm going to do whatever I can to help solve the problem. Mm-hmm. And like literally no, none of those things were no, in this letter. None of them. And none of them have been in a lot of these, you know, like oh, over yeah. the last couple of years, people men who have been accused have kind of popped up after their what they have decided is an appropriate amount of time to stay in the background mm-hmm. and thinking of, you know, folks like Gian Gomeshi and John Hockenberry, even in the public radio world. Yeah. I mean, Louis wrote, C.K., right, the comic. Yeah, you know, and like they'll write an essay or whatever, but very few of them seem appropriately contrite given yeah. the accusations that were put against them exactly. by women and yeah. what they have gone through since, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, I wonder, you know, when the Me Too movement started, when the Weinstein story broke, I kept saying to myself, how long does this moment last? Right. And now two years into it, I think it's going to last a while. Oh, yeah. And I think it's probably a good thing. Yeah. And I think that's the other question, right, is 
what is the net good? Like, how do we measure impact? And should everyone have fallen who did? You know, there's a lot still to figure out. But I think as long as we're talking about it, that's what's really important. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here in Chicago at the studios of member station WBEZ uh, with two WBEZ stars. <laughs> Dan Mialopoulos, investigative reporter on WBEZ's government and politics team, and Greta Johnson, host of the Nerdette podcast and WBEZ anchor. Dan, you have three words. The nerd and the nerdette. So the nerd gets his turn here, <laughs> and it is... Uh, Three words. I'll say them both in English and Latin. Oh, I know nice. I was playing, I was doing Greek and English Latin? earlier. Yeah, but I don't know much Latin. <laughs> but I do know quid pro quo. Oh. Pay to play. Pay to play. And this is in terms of political corruption, huh? Both in D.C. and in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. How many indictments have we had just like in the last three weeks? Well, we've had more raids, raids than indictments. Raids. We've had <laughs> right, some right, indictments right. Uh, recently, yes, but we've had. Uh, ton of raids. They're all over the place. Really? The feds are swarming in Chicago and in Illinois. They've been at City Hall. Huh. They've been at the state capitol. They've been at district offices. They've been at little village halls is what oh we goodness. call them in Illinois in in some uh, very not village-like industrial suburb <laughs> of Chicago. <laughs> yeah. And they're serving subpoenas. They're coming armed with search warrants. And they're looking at a lot of uh, uh, schemes that uh, involve people um, basically abusing the public trust for their own personal gain. Yeah. I want to draw some parallels and comparisons between Illinois corruption and investigations around corruption in D.C. But first, give our listeners outside of Chicago kind of a laundry list of the kind of corruption stuff that's being investigated and, and, like, indicted right now. Yeah, there's a number of people who are under investigation, and we don't know how all of them are going to end up, but the people that are um, getting in the federal heat right now and feeling that federal heat include uh, some of the, the most important members of the state legislature, a state senator who's one of the most powerful senators. They raided his office at, at the Capitol in broad daylight. Um, there are also investigations of uh, contractors, lobbyists, at City Hall, we have a couple of aldermen. One has been indicted already for a pay-to-play scheme, a guy named Ed Burke, who um, coincidentally, Donald Trump's property tax lawyer for the Whoa. Trump Tower Chicago wow. building, one of That's the crazy. tallest buildings here uh, downtown. Uh, and another alderman um, named Carrie Austin, her office got raided. She's got a number of relatives on the payroll here who wow. are also, also being looked at yeah. by the feds. So nepotism, business shakedowns, pay-for-play, my favorite one, um, someone in city government was, like, arranging to have the snow plows plow his block first. <laughs> well, we don't know if he arranged it as Ed Burke, <laughs> but we know that it happened magically, <laughs> that these trucks went a mile off of their route and uh, would go down his that side street. so yeah, Chicago. They, the Chicagoist um, thing. It is so Chicago. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> my big question for you this week is how has the Trump presidency and all of the corruption investigations in D.C., affected the way corruption in politics plays out or is investigated or is perceived by the public in the rest of the country? Does it have any effect? Well, the rest of the country or Chicago, you know, I mean, (laughs) Chicago is very different. I mean, this is a town where I think it was 12 and a half percent voted for Donald Trump Mm -hmm. in uh, 2016. Mostly we write about Democrats and report on Democrats here and and, and investigate Democrats because they run the state and especially the city. But most of the people here who do vote Democratic uh, look at that and um, 
they don't say, well, because of this, I'm, uh, this corruption at Chicago City Hall or in Springfield, I'm going to support Donald Trump. Huh. Because corruption is an issue, I think, but yeah. it's not the issue. You know, huh. There's the economy, of course, for everybody. And then there's, you know, who is for me? Dan, how long have you been covering politics now here? In Chicago, 20 yeah, years. 20 years. Yeah. So at this point, like, do these raids surprise you at all? Is this just like, another, you know, it's just like, oh, yeah, another day, another raid. No big deal. Yeah, I mean, there are periods when the feds are more active than at other times, but we've certainly seen several periods like that in the last 15 to 20 years. Yeah, we've seen this stuff, and uh, we, we try to not cross the line from skepticism to cynicism. Yeah. I wonder if you're a Chicago Democrat, an Illinois Democrat, under corruption investigation, is your line, well, I'm not Donald Trump, could be worse. Is that what they're saying sometimes? Uh, yeah, essentially. I mean, huh. um, but in, in, here they're they're not even going to have a Republican running okay. against them yeah. in most cases. Um, I mean, there's some Republicans that run statewide and they haven't won anything in, in a long time. So it's not going to get them that far. But no, absolutely. Many uh, people like, you know, Rahm Emanuel, our last mayor, uh, you know, off, off, and, and our current mayor, you know, they, they currently get into it with Donald Trump uh, and they say, you know, um, it, it helps their popularity when they put themselves against yeah. someone that's that unpopular. Yeah. It's time for a break. Coming up, we are going to ask an existential question to cell phone or not to cell phone in the theater. Oh. There's a heated debate taking place right now in the performing arts over whether it's okay for showgoers to use their smartphones during a musical or a play or a symphony. One leading playwright right now says, sure, why not? We'll break down his argument and have this fight together uh, <laughs> after the break. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Sony Pictures Entertainment, presenting Black and Blue, the high-stakes action thriller in theaters October 25th. Starring Academy Award nominee Naomi Harris as a rookie cop who inadvertently captures a murder on her body cam. She teams up with the only person willing to help her, Tyrese Gibson, as she tries to escape from both the criminals out for revenge and the police who are desperate to destroy the body cam footage. Don't miss Black and Blue, only in theaters October 25th. This message comes from NPR sponsor Discover. The traditional first anniversary gift is paper. Most couples aren't gifting each other stationery, but Discover is following this anniversary tradition for its new card members. At the end of your first year, Discover will match all the cash back you earned dollar for dollar, no caps and no catch. That's a paper anniversary gift in the form of a cash back bonus. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Cash back match offer only for new card members. Limitations apply. NPR's Code Switch is a podcast about race in America that's about all of us. Our histories, how we're represented, the ways we've worked together, and worked against each other. You'll learn, you might get mad, you'll definitely laugh, but don't take my word for it. Just listen to NPR's Code Switch. We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I am Sam Sanders in... Do y'all hate when people say the Windy City? 
Nobody says it here. Okay, Nobody then I'm not going to say it. I'm in Chicago. <laughs> I'm in Chicago with two uh, WBEZ reporters, Greta Johnson, host of the Nerdette podcast and WBEZ weekend anchor, and Dan Mihalopoulos, investigative reporter on WBEZ's government and politics team. I have a question for both of you. Okay. Have you ever had to tell someone to put their cell phone away in a play or a musical or something like that? I am so tempted all the time. I have, yeah. It was in London, actually, I think last <laughs> year. West End? At a, no, at a soccer game at Arsenal. Oh. Wait, a the, soccer game? Well, there was a tourist next to me, like me, just, uh, and he was trying to film the entire game on uh. his phone. I'm like, dude, the game is on TV. Like, just, <laughs> So every time the ball would go toward his side, his phone would be in front of me. And I finally just told him to put it down, and, and he did, because I think he was scared of me. But, <laughs> Like, who would actually say something like that? <laughs> I got in trouble on Twitter once when I tweeted live reaction to one of the Fast and Furious movies from the theater. Oh. I was in the back row. No one was even three rows close to back me. And I was like, totally oh, it's fair. fun. But it's people on Twitter were like, I will find you and beat you. Wow. Anyway, I bring all this up because right now in the theater world, there's this big de- I know, I got to say it like that. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> there's this big debate going on over whether or not you can have your phone out in a musical or a play or a classical performance. This debate in recent weeks has led to actual physical confrontations at shows. Um, So I called up NPR freelance theater reporter Jeff London to ask him why folks are so up in arms about this and who is right. So Jeff began by telling me about one really egregious recent example of a cell phone dust-up at a musical in New York. There was this off-Broadway production of a show called The Wrong Man. And in that show, the staging is such where some audience members are actually seated on the sides of the stage. And there was a guy who was sitting at the side of the stage, Mm -hmm. on the stage, uh, who was filming with uh, his cell phone, with his smartphone. And Josh Henry, who plays the lead, Uh kept on sort of looking this guy's way. While singing? While singing. <laughs> and you can see it because they were filming the show that evening. Uh-huh. He kind of looks at the guy and reaches his hand out and grabs his cell phone. Oh, my goodness. Takes it and throws it under the bleachers. While to still the performing? of the audience. He doesn't drop a beat, he's just singing his song. That's talent. <laughs> it really is. And there have been some other instances as well. This violinist, Anne Sophie Mutter, she stopped playing Beethoven to make a woman stop recording her. (laughs) Yeah, she apparently this person had been videoing the performance in the first row during the first movement of Beethoven, which is an intense piece of music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she pulled out a second cell phone (laughs) to get the second movement. And she just kind of looked at this woman who was in the first row and stopped. So this stuff has been going on a lot. And there's a third instance that kind of flipped the script. So Jeremy O'Harris, he is a playwright who has one of the buzziest plays of the year on Broadway, Slave Play. Um, He was texting during the show with (laughs) Rihanna who came to his show, uh, when questioned about it afterwards, he said, of course I'm going to text with Rihanna if she texts me during my show. It's Rihanna. (laughs) It's true. I mean, you know, there's this part of me that's like, 
laughing about it. But there's another part of me that thinks, gee, Rihanna, couldn't you just put your cell phone away and text him once it's over? No one tells, no one puts Rihanna in a corner, Jeff. <laughs> so okay. this is not just an etiquette debate. It's a legal debate as well, because taking video of these performances, you are what I mean, you're like taking intellectual property that like they own and you shouldn't be taking yourself. Is that part of it, too? Exactly. I mean, these are words and music people have created that are part of their intellectual property. And also the uh, the performances of the actors are their own and they don't want them distributed You know, and part of going to the theater is about being in the same space with the same people. It's different every night because the audience vibe is different. The acting is different. For somebody like me who goes to the theater a lot, it's kind of a sacred space. Yeah. I I wonder, this debate is still raging in the world of theater and symphony and orchestra. It is not raging for, like, movies. Everyone pretty much knows you will not have your phone out once the previews are over. And if you do, you'll be shushed or removed or, you know, reprimanded. Why is there still like why does it seem to still be a thing up for debate in theater when it's really not up for debate in movies? I think it's partially a generational thing. And I, you know, because I think people are very excited to be shall we say, in the room where it happens, right? (laughs) You know, Um, because it's something um, that is kind of unique. And I mean, look, if I go to a pop concert, I pull my phone out and I take pictures. Not the whole time, but I don't know. Maybe that's just sort of part of the way we're now memorializing our own events. Yeah. So with this debate... Um, there is one uh, man in the theater world who has been perhaps the most vocal about all of it. I want to talk more about him and his stance. This is Jeremy O. Harris, writer of Slave Play, one of the buzziest plays of the year on Broadway. And he has previously said about all of this, there's no right or wrong way to watch the theater. The form is dying. So I'd rather people just be there than not, to be quite honest. Does that argument kind of hold water for you? He has a point. Just get the butts in the seats, man, right? Yes, to a to a certain degree. Okay. The truth is that historically, mm-hmm. if you went to see Shakespeare at the Globe, yeah. you know, people were walking around and throwing fruit and vegetable <laughs> at actors, you know. And frankly, if you still go to Kabuki Theater in Japan, right, uh-huh. you know, that goes on for like four hours, five hours, six hours, people are sitting there eating and talking. Yeah. So there are um, different rules in different times in different societies. And I, I think, you know, theater has to figure out a way to acknowledge that it's 2019. Yeah. And that people are kind of living in social media. Yeah. Well, also, I think some of it is there's a certain class of theater person that sees the phone in the show as a sign of disrespect. But what if the phone in the show is a sign of admiration and a sign of saying, I want to be excited and show folks that I was here and spread the word about this thing? Like, Is there any way that the theater world transforms itself to see the cell phone in the theater as a form of flattery? Well, they're not unhappy 
if somebody takes a picture at the beginning、yeah. or somebody takes a picture at the curtain call、mm-hmm. and puts in, you know, at slave play、yeah. tonight or whatever、yeah. in their social media, they love that.、Mm-hmm. You know, the real question is, and you know, having spoken to somebody like Patty Lupone about this,、mm-hmm. you know, it's hard for them. To concentrate when it's kind of in their face, gotcha, gotcha. And they're trying to kind of set up a world, and there's kind of an intrusion in it. I mean, we all know that theater is not real, and that the people who are on stage—what? <laughs> it's not real. Portray- What? It's not real. They're portraying <laughs> characters. Wait, but you know, for the people on stage. They do want. They to. want it to feel real. They want it to be. They want to be locked into their characters and not be yeah, distracted. Yeah, and they want. And they want the audience. Yeah. To be locked、yeah. into the characters. Now, you talked to Patty Lupone about all of this. What'd she tell you about the whole cell phone gate? As that's what I'm calling it. <laughs> she said, "Where's the respect? Where's the respect? What are you doing there? Why are people coming to the theater if they don't want the theatrical experience?" There is a line of criticism that I've been seeing around all of this. That says part of the reason someone like Jeremy O'Harris of Slave Play is attacked for his cell phones are okay stance is because he is young and he is black.、Um, does any of this debate to you seem coded by class or by race or by age? In so far as the etiquette. Rules were kind of written in the 19th century and the 20th century、okay. <laughs> by European culture.、Uh-huh. That may be the case. I think more than anything else, though,、mm-hmm. it's sort of a generational thing、mm-hmm. that people who are really part of the smartphone generation, this seems like the most natural thing in the world to do. Thanks again to Jeff London, NPR freelance theater and arts reporter. Time for a break. When we come back, my favorite game. Who said that? You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, helping NPR advance journalistic excellence in the digital age. Hi, it's Rachel Martin from Morning Edition, and I'm here to tell you about something really cool. NPR is launching this new series. It is called Off Script, and it's where presidential candidates sit down with two voters for frank conversations about the issues. First up, Beto O'Rourke. Should we not pursue public policy or legislation for fear of the current composition of the courts? My answer to that is no. Watch the full interview on NPR.org/offscript. We are back. You're listening to "It's Been a Minute" from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I am Sam Sanders in Chicago this weekend, joined by two Chicago rock stars, WBEZ anchor and host of the Nerdette podcast, Greta Johnson. Thanks for being here. Oh my gosh, Sam! So excited. Oh yeah, and Dan Mihalopoulos, investigative reporter on WBEZ's government and politics team. Uh, Pleasure to welcome you to Chicago. <laughs> listen, I, anytime they bring me here, I'm so happy because y'all know how to eat. Yeah, we Chicago. Yes, oh my do. God, y'all know how to eat. I love it so much. So much carbohydrate and yes, cheese and bring meat. It it's on, exquisite. Bring it on. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Are you ready for my favorite game? Who said that? Who said that? Who said that? I'm ready to beat Greta. The nerd will beat the nerdette. All right, this game is very simple. I share a quote from the week. 
You have to guess who said it or just get a keyword from the story. Uh, the winner gets absolutely nothing. Dan, should we put a wager on it? A little deep dish or something? I'm oh. not sure. Well, <laughs> I'm not sure that uh, that I, I should be as confident because I've been focused too much on local yokel stuff. Yeah. You know, local yeah. yokel news. Well, here, we'll see right? what happens, man. Yeah. I picked easy quotes this week because last week I had to help my panelists out a lot. <laughs> I so heard that. <laughs> these should be a little easier to get. A scoreless tie. <laughs> yeah. This will be easier. All right. First quote. Here's the thing. I'm friends with George Bush. I'm friends with a lot of people who don't share my same beliefs that I have. Alan. I I knew that. (laughs) (laughs) This quote comes from Ellen DeGeneres, one of, I think, America's sweethearts, but she's in hot water this week. She's had to defend herself this week after a photo surfaced of Ellen at a Dallas Cowboys game sitting next to former president George W. Bush. And she got a lot of blowback on the Internet because of his record on LGBTQ rights, because of his history with the Iraq War. And she said, quote, when I say be kind to one another, I don't mean only the people that think the same way that you do. I mean be kind to everyone. Doesn't matter. Do we care? (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Gosh, I wish I could remember word for word. What's the James Baldwin quote about, like, I'm willing to engage in respectful conversation with you as long as what you believe in doesn't involve my oppression, essentially. Mm. I will say, when I saw this whole dust up and everyone getting so mad about it, I was just like, I don't have the time. (laughs) I don't have the time to worry about who Ellen DeGeneres is gallivanting with. I really don't care. (laughs) All right, who got that one? Y'all were so nice. You both raised your hands. Right, I mean, is there a... Just yell it out. Just yell it out. Just yell it out. So we're going to give that first point to Greta, even though I think, Ah. Dan, you knew it at the same time. I mean, I did yell it out first. Yes, yes. So this next one, just yell it out. (laughs) I was robbed. (laughs) Very polite, Dan. Here's the quote. When you pay for Snoop Dogg, you're going to get Snoop Dogg. (laughs) Who said that? I have no idea, but I love it. it, The simplest answer is the best with this one. Yeah, he did something this week, didn't he, at a show? Yeah, but who said that quote? Who who would talk about Snoop Dogg in the third person? Snoop Dogg. Okay. (laughs) Thank you for the really intense hint, (laughs) Sam. Yes, so this was a quote. (laughs) Which I didn't get. (laughs) This was Snoop Dogg talking to TMZ this week uh, after the University of Kansas had to apologize for a Snoop Dogg performance. Oh, wow. So last weekend, uh, University of Kansas had Snoop Dogg out to perform at a basketball event on campus called Late Night in the Fog. But during the performance at this university event, (laughs) Snoop Dogg brought out dancers on poles. Oh, wow. (laughs) Fake money. And he used profanity in a bunch of his songs. He made like a strip club scene. (laughs) I just like, what... What do you expect when you invite Snoop Dogg right? to your campus? Yeah. He's no. a known quantity at this point. <laughs> he's calmed down, though, a little bit, hasn't he? I mean, he, he's, like, he had that show baseball where his now. wife would kind of <laughs> yell yeah. at him all the time for leaving stuff lying around the house. And Coach, yeah, football, too. I think he had a, when he had a, his kid had a football That's team, didn't he was. get all the good players to yeah. come on his yeah. team and he, dominate the He was a really league. cute Pop Warner. Pop Warner football coach. <laughs> oh, I, I watched that and loved it. Who got that one? That's I did. Okay. Okay. She, she assumed that Snoop Dogg speaks about himself in the third person. I mean, you person. helped a lot. Uh-huh. Really, uh-huh. you should have that point. Well, Sam. you know, it's for you. It's for you. <laughs> Last quote. You ready? Quote, I couldn't dare do that. For what? Who gains from that? Not my people. Oh, wow. I'll give you more of the quote. Okay. It's from a celebrity profile this week about 
her not doing a show. Rihanna. Okay, yes, yes, yes. The rest of the quote was, there's things within that organization that I do not agree with at all, and I was not about to go and be of service to them in any way. This is Rihanna in a recent Vogue profile talking about why she refused to play the Super Bowl halftime show a few years ago. There was a bunch of coverage and gossip about her being asked to play and Rihanna saying no because of the way the league was treating Colin Kaepernick and his take a knee protest. And now she finally said for sure on the record, yeah, I didn't do it. I don't like the NFL. You know, it's funny because I didn't actually read the Vogue profile, but I follow just enough journalists on Twitter who are all really indignant about the part of that where the reporter says that they had not prepared any questions (laughs) to interview Rihanna. Yes. And that was the part that my people got real (laughs) intense about. I was was mad about that, too. How do you do that? All I know is if you want to read a good Rihanna profile, look up the New York Times magazine profile of Rihanna written by Miranda July. Oh, wow. I bet. Yeah. Yeah. That one is just a thing of beauty. I think y'all know how this has played out, but Greta, you won. I, I sure do. <laughs> the nerd is nerdier than the nerd debt. <laughs> this has been shown. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, now it's time to end the show as we do every week. We ask our listeners to share with us the best things that have happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag. Brent, hit the tape. Hey, Sam. This is Erin. I'm an expat in Tokyo, Japan. Right now, I am walking to a giant fireworks festival in Futaka Tamagawa, which happens to line up with my 31st birthday. Feeling very lucky. Thank you. Hi, Sam. This is Abby from Los Angeles. And the best part of my week was going camping with my sister Suzanne and adventuring in the river like we were kids again. The best part of my week was going to a haunted house with a big group of my friends. The best thing that happened to us this week was the birth of our first child, our daughter Hazel. The best part of my week was receiving the news that my dad's cancer is in total remission again. Goodbye, cancer. The best thing that happened to me all week is our oldest daughter closed on her first home all by herself, and we're so proud. Hey, Sam. The best thing that happened to me all week was that I got a tattoo with my father. It was an amazing experience to see my 65-year-old father get a tattoo for the first time. Hi, Sam. This is Leslie from Bennington, New Hampshire. The best part of my week was my commute to work every single day because right now the colors of fall here in New Hampshire are so incredible that it's like driving through tunnels of fire. So the best thing that happened to me this week is I started rehearsal for To Kill a Mockingbird on Broadway, and then I got nominated for an award for my last show. What? Who dis? (laughs) Okay. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) That was Broadway actress Roz Coleman. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. That's awesome. Called in like everyone else. Yes. Congrats, Roz. Also, any listeners, when y'all go to Roz's show, do not pull your cell phone out. (laughs) Respect the art. Respect the craft. Thanks to the rest of those listeners you heard from. Aaron, Abby, Charlotte, Kobe, Jen, C, Caitlin, and Leslie. Uh, Oh, before we go, we're going to play one more best thing for you. Um, If you like this show... uh, just know that it could not have happened for the last year or more without our fearless editor, Jordana Hochman. She's been out for a few weeks now because she had to go uh, do a very big thing. She'll tell you herself. Hi, Sam. It's Jordana and... Ian. Yeah, and who's with us? Maddie. Yeah, Maddie's with us. Maddie. Who's Maddie? Is my baby sister. Yeah, and so the best thing that happened to us all week 
is getting into a routine with Maddie and learning all about her. And what do you like the most about Maddie so far? She makes funny faces and she and she and this morning she made milk come out of her nose. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear her in the background. It's true. true. Bye She's guys. Crying. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> so that's Jordana, our editor. She's been out on baby leave for a few oh, weeks. That's adorable. That's so adorable. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Congrats, Jordana. I'm so happy that everything is going well with that new child, but I miss you. <laughs> Come back at some point. <laughs> We're going to close the show as we started it with the rap remix to the theme song of HBO's drama Succession. It's Been a Minute was produced this week by Brent Bachman, Anjali Sastry, and Jason Fuller. Our fearless editors are Kitty Isley and Alex McCall. Our director of programming is Steve Nelson. Our big boss is NPR's senior VP of programming, Anya Grundman. And this week, thanks to all the staff and support system at NPR member station WBEZ in Chicago for hosting us this week as we tape the show. Uh, and... Thanks to the creators of HBO Succession and that theme song we're playing right now. It's a bop, man. So good. I love it. I love it. I love it. All right, listeners, as always, thank you for listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. Till next time, talk soon. This bank account is not frozen. This thing of ours is not broken. What's understood is not spoken.